And uh, where are you going? All right, Lord, all good things come from you. And for that, we give you thanks. Lord, we pray that you would bless this time. Pray, Lord Christ, that the end product of this would be, it would increase our faith in you and um, our awareness of our need for you. And we pray you bless our children. Pray your Holy Spirit, you would pursue them, Lord, and um, we would see them walk with Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm so glad I'm not doing a theology class because Mark Ginolette's here, and <sighs> that would be intimidating. I'm kind of in my in my in my realm here, so good. Um, all right, so all right, let's let's dedicate. Uh, what's up? Good to see y'all. Um, let's dedicate 90 seconds to why you came to the class. If you would just tell me, like, here's why I came. Here's something I'd like to get out of it. That will help me in kind of moving in those directions. Anybody? Yes. You have a senior, okay? Good, good. Anyone else? Senior. Senior. Fear, good. Ninth grader. Ninth grader, good. I'll tell you honestly, I taught this class about two years ago. The title was Grace Driven Ministry to Postmodern Teens. I had five people show up. <laughs> that title, that title will sell, my friend. <laughs> Anybody here in marketing or advertising? That's right, that sells. <laughs> okay. So anyhow, all right. Um, so let's start with this caveat. Let's not freak out, all right? So here's the deal. Um, you know, I have, I have children. Um, I don't have teenagers, so the fear factor is not as great. Um, but I do have, you know, very, very strong affection for a lot of teenagers. And so I, I, understand, um, I understand kind of the fear of what's going to happen to my kid when they finish high school, when they're sent out to the brave new world. And, like... Here's the deal that we have to kind of start with, and we'll end with this too, and that is we just really don't have that much control. You know, I, I've probably had 600 students come through our youth ministry since I've been here, so I've seen lots and lots of families, and I have seen some of the finest Christian families where I'm like, I want to be Christian parents like them. They've blessed me, uh, and I see like their kids are in their 20s, and none of them are involved in the church, none of them walk with Christ, and I see families where it's a complete train wreck, like total train wreck, um, everything behind the walls, dysfunctional and damaging that you can imagine, and like, I, I'm thinking of one family in particular, and both of their kids are like as solid as a rock, walking with Christ, um, and so... With that being, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let, let this function rule. Uh, be a train wreck, it's all gonna work out. No. So that's all to say, and, and you know, that's all to say. The gospel tells us that we're utterly and completely dependent on God. We really, really need the Holy Spirit. And so, um, and so, with that being said, let's, uh, you know, we don't need to freak out. We need to understand that as parents. We're insufficient, and what we really need is the grace and the generosity of the Holy Spirit. And so we'll kind of start with that note. Um, so here's here's kind of the starting point, Deuteronomy 6, just to kind of have some, some vision and some common ground of where we're going. Um, Deuteronomy, uh, if, if you're a, a, a big a, a Bible studier, you know this, but um, Deuteronomy is kind of the point where the Israelites are getting ready to go into the promised land. Uh, you know, Exodus has taken them from Egypt into the wilderness. Numbers focuses on the wilderness. And Deuteronomy is, it's go time. Like, it's time to cross over. We're going to cross over in the book of Joshua. But a large portion of what Deuteronomy is about is about seeing 
the children of the people who came out of Israel, none of those people are going to actually go into the promised land because of uh, mistakes they've made in the wilderness. But seeing those children stick with the Lord, remain faithful to the Lord, to his commandments when they go into the promised land. And so it's a bunch of different sermons where, uh, where Moses is telling the people, all right, this is what we need to do to prepare. Like, this is what we need to do to spiritually ground our children. And uh, Deuteronomy, this is one of the sermons from Deuteronomy 6. Moses says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Okay, so, you know, here's, this is, this is hard, this is hard for us to get a grip on. It's hard for me. I'm a professional Christian. I'm supposed to be like, you know, discipleship of teenagers guru, correct? And like, you know, I can remember when I first, we first had our baby boy, baby Cam, and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about my hopes and dreams for his life. And, you know, I'm like, oh, maybe we're going to get him started in soccer early, like those Quanjo boys who play at, at Alabama. <laughs> he's going to be big. I mean, he's in the 95th percentile. And maybe he's going to get his father-in-law's frame and feet. And he's got my length. And he's offensive tackle. And, uh, you know, and we're soccer will get the footwork going. And, you know, scholarship Bama, left tackle franchise, no retirement to worry about. Okay. <laughs> Thinking about, you know, these are, you know, you think about these, these things really or, or like, you know, like, he looks, he's smart. I mean, he said a lot of words here at, at, at you know, 12 months. And, you know, I think, you know, we go through Mountain Burke, maybe we go through the high school, and, and then maybe, maybe we go to boarding school for a year, send him up north, play a little football there, get some attention from the Ivy League schools, and <laughs> start thinking about these kinds of things. You know, it's your 12-month-old. And it's like, okay, first off, all these dreams are like one step above, like, my inadequacy. Like, just went to WIG, didn't go to the Ivy Leagues, pretty good athlete, not a college athlete. And so, you know, you see, you see like, Oh, what I think is going to satisfy my child is to be successful, to be prosperous, to be smart, to be impressive, and to be popular. Okay, and so and so, hey, like professional Christian here, paid to be a Christian, paid to disciple children. I that is my first inclination. Okay, and so it takes an active repentance to say no. Like my child could go to a great school, and he could be an investment banker in New York, and he pay he could have rode. That's really impressive, you know. He could have rode in college, and heck, he might, you know, he might, he might be in some prestigious club up in, up in Manhattan before he moves back home, of course. But, but here's the thing: like, what Scripture tells us is that what is going to satisfy your child is an intimate relationship with God through Christ. That's what's going to satisfy your child. And so, when we get down to it, remember that like, you would much rather your kid be serving burgers at Johnny Rockets at age 28, without a college degree, and that child be really really walking with the Lord and have really healthy relationships, be, you know, a really good parent and a really good, uh, a really good husband and have really healthy, nurturing friendships and having a really strong sense of morality. That's what you really want for your kid. And so it takes this kind of daily repentance 
to believe like the promises of Scripture as compared to the promises of the world. And we're all guilty of it. I'm the chief of all of this. I've just kind of laid it all out there, my deepest, darkest idolatry for my child. Um, and so that's what we're gunning for. We want your child, and that's what we want for your child in our youth ministry. It's your child to have an intimate relationship with God where they know the gospel, they know their freedom through grace, and where they really do want to follow God's laws because they appreciate what Jesus has done for them on the cross. And so that's kind of where we're going here. Now, fear factor time, the decline of religious life in young people. Uh, this is, the, as far as youth ministry is concerned over the last 30 years, youth ministry, and you can say families together, that's what the research is showing, it's really been an epic failure. It's had very little efficacy. You can see some of these statistics. This is a Lifeway research, spelled that wrong. 65% of youth group alums <laughs> will not return to church after college. That's, that's kind of conservative. Uh, one denomination in particular, I'm not going to say which one it is, has like a 20% success rate of their kids returning to the church after high school and in their young adulthood. It's not the Episcopal Church, by the way. Um, so anyhow, so the, the numbers are really, really bad. 79% uh, of youth ministry alums said that their spiritual life declined after high school. That's, that's not so hot. Um, not altogether surprising, but not so hot. And then 42% of evangelical teenagers, even this is like evangelical teenagers believe that uh, morality is relative, that like everyone kind of gets to make up their own rules and do what they want based on their personal conviction of morality. So, so those, that's, that's not so hot. All right. So the cause of decline, it's, it's on two fronts. It's a failure of the church, and it's a failure, um, a failure of, uh, within families as well. And we'll look at both ends of that. We'll kind of start off looking at youth ministry in general. But, um, but yeah, it's kind of a youth ministry, which is kind of a new field. Uh, it's really kind of been a failed experiment in particular over the last 30 years. And, um, and so that's the, there have been two waves of research. The first wave of research talks about kind of statistically diagnoses the problem that's just really not working very well. In fact, uh, some of the research indicates that a kid who grew up in a totally secular home um, and would be as almost as likely to randomly end up going to church, being a Christian, as a kid who were to go through a youth ministry in high school. Some of you are like, hey, let's get this kid out. Let's get our kids out of EYC. Like, <laughs> anyhow, um, no, and so that just, that's, that's kind of alarming. All right, the second layer of research kind of gets under what's the problem. Like, why, why is this not working? Why is there such a failure? And the research at the second, but on both levels, but particularly the second level, is not done by just like Christian organizations. It's not just done by uh, evangelicals. It's done by both secular and evangelical organizations alike. So the, the two like front runners in terms of research are Princeton and Oxford. Um, and so, so anyhow, we're going to talk now about what are some of the factors as far as the church and youth ministry are concerned contributing to, to like a lack of efficacy in raising up disciples of Christ. Um, the first is the message. This is the kind of, there are kind of peripheral reasons of why kids don't stick with the church and where churches are failing. Um, this is the core. Like everyone is coming back to this issue right here. That is the message or the theology of youth ministry. Um, this will not be particularly surprising to you, but uh, in 2005, 2002 to 2005, there was a study out of Oxford. They interviewed about 4,000 students, and they came back and they said that the religious uh, said identify the problem with the decline in students' church attendance related to the message of youth ministry, which it described as moralistic therapeutic deism. So that was the term they used to encapsulate the, the, the theology of most students who have gone through youth ministry. Now there's, uh, they came away with these five composite beliefs. 
So students who've gone through youth ministry in America, this is basically, these are like the five tenets of what they believe. The first, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Okay, not bad. Uh, Next, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Okay. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. All right, starting to go down a bad path. (laughs) God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. So you can see the deistic part of that. And then last, good people go to heaven when they die. So now, again, these aren't secular students. These are kids who've gone through the church, who've been involved in the youth ministry. This is kind of the composite belief system of the of 4,000 students who are interviewed. Um, all right, so they, like I said, they came away with this term moralistic therapeutic deism. And now let's think about it. Let's, let's think about kind of your stereotype of what a youth ministry looks like. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a lot of whipped cream and a lot of marshmallows in the mouth and slip and slide and things like that. That's part of it. And then you also think about, like, legalism. You kind of think about don't drink, don't have sex before marriage, don't do this, don't do that, rules, rules, rules. And then you kind of think about emotional experience. Like, we're all standing around the fire, we're playing light the fire. Anyone, anyone who grew up, you know, in 1980s, 1990s youth group, that was the song, you know, light the fire, got us all fired up so that we can go out and follow the rules and be good kids, right? You know, nice to our parents, nice to people, don't cuss, don't drink, and certainly don't have sex before marriage. All right, so anyhow, so if that's your picture of youth ministry, it's not surprising that this is going to be the kind of theological breakdown. First, it's moralistic. So we mean basically it's law-driven. It has to do with giving you rules and giving you motivation to follow those moral standards. Morality is good. We're fans, we're fans of biblical morality. And we also believe that grace is what moves people in a moral direction. And transformation by the Holy Spirit is what leads us into fruitful moral lives. Okay, So moralistic. Therapeutic. Uh, emphasizing felt needs or emotional experiences. So this, this is particularly a problem when you have youth ministry that's very entertainment driven. Is It's kind of sold as like, hey, this is something that for you to make you feel good and for you to enjoy. And it's generally, you're the center. It's about your needs. That's, that's kind of what we're going for. And emotional experience is key. And so the therapeutic part, again, not surprising. All right, deism. And you can see that one tenet where it talked about God is pretty much just needed when you have a problem. Like he's kind of, they're, they're, uh, they're in the bullpen. The starting pitcher gets in trouble. Bring out the lefty. And that's kind of the kind of a vision of God. It's kind of this deistic idea that he's not a sovereign God who is active and living in our life, in our world right now through his Holy Spirit. It's kind of this idea that God's out there and I'll call on him when I need him. And so that's kind of the encapsulation of the theology of, that has kind of come out of youth ministry um, for, for kids. So moralistic therapy is deism. Now, summary of the problem. This is uh, a quote from Kenda Creasy Dean. She's one of the big gurus in this. She's the dean of, uh, I can't remember her department, but she's one of the deans at Princeton Theological Seminary. She wrote a book called Almost Christian because she basically writes about all the research and does this kind of practical application, practical description of all the research on, on the failure of youth ministry. And she calls the book Almost Christian because she's saying that like the message is almost Christian, but not really. And so her quote here is, the National Study on Youth and Religion reveals a theological fault line running underneath American churches. 
an adherence to a do-good, feel-good spirituality that has little to do with the triune God of Christian tradition and even less to do with loving Christ enough to follow him into the world. The challenge posed to the church by teenagers in the National Study of Youth and Religion is as much, a, as, as much theological as methodological. Okay, so that's a little bit of a summary of the problem. So now what we'll talk about is we'll, um, well, sorry, we'll look at a few other peripheral causes, and then we'll start to look at kind of reactions, like what would be appropriate responses to this, both for the church and both for families. And by the way, in her book, Almost Christian, she talks about, she says, families, sorry, this is not, uh, I've criticized youth ministry a lot, so I guess I can throw it back out. She says that uh, families not being involved in the discipleship of their children is as much an issue as the, the church's uh, insufficiency. She said kind of there's been a culture in the same way that you kind of outsource your child's athletic development to Little League or their math to school and to the math tutor, their musical development to the piano teacher who comes over. There's a tendency to outsource your child's spiritual development to the church, and um, which that's just kind of normal in the culture. And so one of the things that she talks about is a need for the church and parents to be in partnership in this. And we'll talk about that a little more later. Um, but some other causes as far as part uh, of the problem. First, a misguided view of the church. Uh, if, if we sell kids on the idea uh, that church is about you and the face of our ministry is fun and games, I'm not criticizing fun and games ministry. We do plenty of fun stuff. Um, but if the thing that you're using to draw kids to church is entertainment, well, look, they think, okay, church is entertainment. It's about me having fun. And when they go to college, I promise you, a fraternity party and a keg stand, maybe a little weed, is a whole lot more fun than going to campus ministry. It is, you know? And so if we're trying to position ourselves as a form of entertainment, we're going to totally fail the culture. Because video games are really, really, really fun. And like sports and recruiting websites and pornography, like those things are fun. We can't compete with that. Like we really can as the church. I mean, I know personally, I'm just not that fun. So <laughs> anyhow, so so anyhow, we kind of have a give kids a wrong view of the church. Um, and like Kenny Creasy Dean said, we really want to help them understand it's it's about God first. It's about us worshiping the Lord and serving the Lord in our life, and it's about us growing a relationship with God. Like this, we're a we're a spiritual and uh, we're a spiritual entity, and we're a we're a fellowship. We're a body of people, and so. That's what we want to put as our first step forward. Um, secondly, poor preparation and transition to college. A lot of kids, and there's a, a lot of kids will say that they just felt lost when they got to college. No one had helped them think through what spiritual life would be like in college. No one had given them apologetics training to understand the arguments they'd hear from friends or from professors. And, uh, and, and they also like didn't really know how to kind of find a church and navigate that on their own. So, so that's another another issue. Another issue is lack of integration to the wider church. What we mean by that is a propensity for youth ministries to sequester themselves. Like the kids, all right, the kids go down to their Sunday school room, the kids have their events, but there's no integration with the wider body of the church. And so when they get in college, they just don't really feel comfortable sitting next to the 60-year-old man or you know the 30-year-old family because they're so used to just being around their peers. And so they they kind of they don't feel comfortable. They're not very well uh, socialized for that. And then finally, unequipped for a devotional life. We'll talk about that a little more in a second. So uh, how does youth ministry respond? All right, the first thing is uh, we try to foster a sense of community and opportunity for service. Like that is the kids of this generation, 
they are very geared towards relationship. They, if they do not want to be a part of anything, if they do not feel relationally connected. So as far as like, we don't so much want to pose ourselves as an entertainment venue. What we would love to happen, it's hard, you have to have a lot of grace from the Lord and you have to work on it really hard and you have to pray about it a lot, is for us to be more of a group of friends and a fellowship where they feel connected. So that's the first, that's kind of the first thing that we try to do uh, in terms of like positioning ourselves as compared to the culture. Um, next thing, you have to be very intentional about college transition and preparation. Um, that is something we've kind of grown in uh, since I've been here as far as every year kind of add new bells and whistles, so to speak. But in the kids' senior year, we are talking about college. We are, like right now, we have a senior study where we're right now going through some of the big arguments they're going to hear in college. We're going to talk about how to, what are the marks of a good church? How do you choose a church? We're going to talk about their devotional life. How do you read the Bible and pray on your own? That's not just a senior semester thing. It has to be a whole time thing. More of that later. Um, but anyhow, and then when kids go to college, you call the campus ministers on the campuses where every one of the kids is going. You give them their cell phone number. You give them their email address. You give them a little bit of a profile of, hey, this is what this kid is like. These are things they're interested in. These are ways you may be able to connect with them. You tell the kid, you're going to get a call from this person and this person. They run campus ministries. They're fantastic. We know them, blah, blah, blah. So you, and then once they're in college, you don't forget about them. So they don't feel like you only cared about me when I was a number on your roll. You want to show them, like, hey, we care about you because we love you. We're the church. We're with you for good. And so we try really hard. I mean, there are so many kids in college. But we try really hard to stay relationally connected with our kids after high school. So those are all things that research is saying you need to do to help kids transition and to, to better their chances they're going to stick with Christ in the church. All right. You promote intergenerational ministry. This is an area we need to grow in. Um, but... Things like being an acolyte, I know, if, you know you kind of made think of acolyte as oh, that's just a way to get my kid to church. That is actually really good because they're having to interact with people who are outside of their generation. And they feel a part of the church. They feel like they're a contributor, like they're doing something. And so when they go to, um, when they go to college and they find a, a church on their own, or when they're in early 20, they're less uh, intimidated by interacting with people who aren't their age. All right, next, uh, consistent <coughs> devotional training. This is, a, this is a biggie. And youth ministries can hammer this too hard. I don't know what kind of youth ministry you grew up in. I know um, I have friends who their youth ministry kind of sold them on, like, Christianity is a quiet time every day. It's Bible reading and it's prayer every day. And if you, I'm not talking about my wife. Um, <laughs> she had a fan. She grew up in an incredible youth ministry. But we've talked about this. But um, so you don't want to make it into a rule. But when we have, um, like every time at Sunday school, we go through different prayers that they can do on their own, so that kids can pray on during the week. And when we go on retreats, we always set aside time to do uh, for a quiet time. And we give them instruction on how to do it on every retreat and every mission trip so that they feel comfortable reading the Bible on their own and know what they're doing, and they feel comfortable praying on their own. Because one of the big indicators on whether a kid will stick with Christ and stick with the church is if they feel comfortable leading a devotional life on their own. So that's one thing that you really hammer, not as a rule, but you give them tools so that they feel comfortable with that, so that they'll be able to carry on an individual relationship with Christ after high school. You partner with parents. Um, 
I, uh, I know that sometimes you guys think that we just have so much going on that we could not take a phone call, but I want you to know it is absolutely gold for us when a parent calls and says, this is what's going on with my child. Um, I'm a little bit concerned. I don't know how to approach it. And we can, because we, I mean, it helps us to know where your child is and, um, and how to approach your child and how to subtly ask them questions that maybe get to issues. And so uh, seeing this as family ministry, where we work together and um, where we're a team, like, that is great. And that's what we want to do. We want to see this as a, as, a, as a team effort, family and church together. That's very much the way that Moses uh, design, like, talks about it in Deuteronomy. As families, this is what you do. And gathering of the people, this is what we do together. All right. Do ministry with theological... Okay, last two. Do ministry with theological depth. Um, yeah, you, you, we have to remember, like... Most the kids that are portrayed in this national study on youth and religion who have that composite belief system, that, that theological foundation is, is not going to serve them very well when they get into the real world and a, a serious trauma or tragedy happens. You know, if, if their best friend dies in a car wreck or their, uh, their parent gets cancer, just being told that uh, be nice to people and that God's kind of out there somewhere and just calling them when you need them. That's not going to help them interpret that kind of suffering in a manner where they're going to walk away from the circumstances and say that God is good and that God is for me and that he loves me and that he's worth following. So that is why, and furthermore, uh, when your child gets into a college class, uh, if that's the composite belief system that they have, a philosophy professor or an English professor, whoever it is, it's not going to take them, if they're not a believer and they have an agenda to kind of knock your knock religious kids off their block, it's, they're going to be uh, easy picking. And so, um, you know, obviously we have to think about theological depth. We have to make it still relevant to them and practical for them and not utterly academic. We have to help them understand how it is that the sovereignty of God affects them as a basketball player trying out for the basketball team, how it is that imputation and the complete work of Christ and the cross, how that relates to their their uh, infighting amongst their friends and, and their freedom in Christ. We have to help them understand how it is relevant to their life. And we really do need to have to help them to help build a deep belief system that is sustainable, um, where they can walk through life and believe recognize their sin, their need for Christ, but also the goodness of the Lord and that God is for them. And so that is something that is something that we have to strive for. All right, and finally, we have to champion the merits of Christ and the gospel. Um, you know, like, the gospel is the thing that's going to save the, save the world. It is the thing that's going to ultimately redeem the world. This, this news that, hey, you are sinful, you are broken, and you've screwed up a lot, but there is a God who is wildly crazy about you and who through Christ holds nothing against you. And you are complete in Christ. You're not inadequate in any way because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Like that has to be the thing that we sell because that's the best news anyone could ever hear is that you're perfectly loved by someone and you're perfectly accepted by someone in a way that no one in the world ever will. And what Christ has done for you makes you sufficient and adequate in a way that nothing you ever could accomplish ever will. And it gives you a freedom that you can't buy. It's a freedom that you can only be given. And so 
one of the things we tell our volunteers who teach Bible studies and who teach Sunday school is that every single lesson, we have to work in the message of grace. We have to do grace-driven ministry, not law-driven ministry, not ministry that's about what you do and it's about rules and it's about motivational speeches to get you not to drink and not to have sex before marriage. We have to... We want those things. Certainly we want kids who, who love the law and want to follow the law, but we want them to do it because they are so grateful and so crazy about a God who's completely crazy about them. So that has to be the, the foundation that has to permeate everything we do, from our relationships to the way we respond to kids, and they're like, hey, I can't come to the Super Bowl party tonight, to the way we do missions and relationships with the poor, um, to our teaching. And so the gospel of grace, that has to be huge. All right, so next, how do parents respond? Okay, so now we're getting into, you know, when we go into these things like, what can you do? Uh, the sinful flesh wants to wrap, our arm, wrap control around this and say, okay, all right, 10 steps. Child will stick with Christ if I do this, this, and this. And, you know, we have to, we have to you know, just drench this in grace and drench this in faith. Because the, the, the bottom line of all this has to be we need to depend on the Lord. We really need to depend on the Lord. But some practical things you can do. Um, pray for your child daily. Um, I mean, the, the means of grace, the sacraments, the word, and prayer. Uh, if there's one that we as parents have, it's prayer. And so we pray for our kids every day. The, you know, the different circumstances of their life that, that God is going to use them to point them to Christ. Um, and yeah, that's pretty simple, pretty self-explanatory. Um, prioritize your own relationship with God. Uh, when I got married, I remember Jane Menendez saying to me, all right, let me give you some advice. I asked her, this is not unsolicited, I asked her, all right, give me three things. That, that was my thing. I'd, I'd find any, I'd find all these people, hey, give me three pieces of marriage advice. And so Jane said, all right, if something is up in your marriage, you feel like you're not connecting with your wife, then it's usually a reflection of your relationship with God. And then when you, uh, when you have children, if you feel like you're not connecting with your kids and there's friction there, it's usually a reflection of your relationship with your wife and that's usually a, re a reflection of your relationship with God. And so for me, Cameron Cole, as a parent who has Mary Matthews and baby Cam, the, um, the most important thing for me that I can do for them is for me to be very vigilant about prioritizing my spiritual life and me being in an intimate relationship with Christ. Uh, me putting down Bama online and reading scripture. Me having boundaries where I have a healthy prayer life. And so that's something we all need to do is think, I know it sounds like oh, I need to focus on the kids, but really the first thing we need to do is really focus on our relationship with the Lord. It sounds selfish, but give yourself permission to do that. All right, second, point your child's expectations to Christ, not you. Um, I say this, when I put baby Cam down at night to go to bed, I'll be like, Cam, I love you so much, and I'm so proud of you, but I want you to know that Jesus, he loves you a whole lot more than I do, and he's more proud of you than I am. Because I want him to under, I want him to see that like I'm a sinner, and I screw up every single day. I lose my temper, I get preoccupied, and I want his expectation to be in God, not me, as far as his spiritual life. So, just a practical thing there. Um, share what you're learning about God. As far as family discipleship goes, I know that word discipleship is very loaded. I myself, as a youth pastor, felt a ton of pressure, like discipleship. That means you sit down and you read scripture and you pray and they confess their deepest, darkest sins. That's not, discipleship's a lot more organic and a lot more natural than that. And so think of 
sermons at church, think of things that you're reading on your own, uh, think of things that you hear at the dean's class, think of uh, things that you hear that you could bless your child with. Just be like, hey, listen, read, look, look what I read today. This is really encouraging. Or like, hey, this is what Joe Gibbs said in his sermon today. That was that really kind of gave me peace. So think of the things that you're learning as material to just bless your child with. Uh, make church, church attendance a priority. I, I, I kind of worry about saying that as a uh, as a person who works for the church. Sounds a little bit self-aggrandizing. Um, but uh, I, I will say there's a, a guy at uh, he's now at Notre Dame. He was previously at Oxford, and he's he and Ken Dean are the two big gurus. And so one of the things he found is uh, three indicators of kids who do stick with the church, kids who are faithful to Christ after high school and you know continue to thrive spiritually. Three indicators he found were one, they had a um, they had a strong devotional life, like they knew how to read scripture, pray, and, and kind of carry on their relationship with God on their own. Um, oh, two was they uh, their families attended church regularly. Of course, we're all going to miss a Sunday. I'll, I will tell you just from my own personal experience. My parents, my parents are fantastic. They're they're really good Christian people. They are not like deep deep theological folks. Like I don't they they never we never had any kind of theological discussions. But it really did impress me. We would go on vac- family vacation to North Carolina. We have a, our family has a house up there, and we would go to church on Sunday. We went on vacation, and I'd be like, we're on vacation. Like come on, give us a break, God. But my parents were like, hey, no, we're going to church. It's Sunday. And my dad said this is theologically way off, right? But it, but he was always like, um, God gives us seven days a week. We can give him one morning. Which I mean, you know, in reality, we, we need to give God seven days a week. But but anyhow, <laughs> you're kind of about six and a half days short there, Dad. But but um, but anyhow, it made an impression. And so like when I went to college, it was just very natural for me to keep on going to church. Um, and so that, yeah, and uh, you know, I like I said, we're all gonna have our seasons where we don't go to church and have our Sundays that we miss for reasons. But just to throw one out there, like one time when you're at the lake or sometimes during lake, go to church. Just be like, yeah, guys. I mean, worshiping the Lord is a priority, and that that makes a big impression. All right, um, affirm their moral convictions. Okay, here's what I mean by that. Um, this study, the third, the third thing from Christian Smith, the third indicator, is a, uh, a indic- or characteristic of students who stick with the church, uh, is that they uh, tend to have one or two areas where they have a very strong moral conviction. Um, maybe their moral <coughs> conviction is that I should give 10% to the church. Maybe their moral conviction is like, I'm not going to drink till I'm 21. Maybe their moral conviction is, um, oh, how about this? Let's go. Let's go. Uh, let's go. Uh, Duggars on you. I'm not gonna kiss before marriage. Okay. Some of those maybe things you're like, come on, dude. That's a little. You're going over. You're going a little bit extreme here. But you know, some of those things, if they're if they're generally good moral convictions, um, don't undermine them. Just kind of affirm that. Be like, hey, you know what? I uh, I partied in college, but um, if you if you don't feel like you should drink till you're 21. Good. Go for that. You know, I, I affirm that. I'm really glad that you have this conviction that's spiritually driven. So, um, so yeah, if your kid has those kind of things, like, may not have been yours, but just, just give them a attaboy. Um, and then finally, engage them spiritually in the matters of their life. So when your child comes home and her, fr- her friends have been gossiping about her and she's all up in arms, um, you know, as you kind of listen to her and, and comfort her, 
just ask the question like, so how does the reality that God loves you perfectly, how does that help you right now? Like, how does that, how might that give you some comfort in, you know, in a time when you feel betrayed? So just think about those different conflicts that they have and engage them spiritually. I have one kid, um, and it's interesting. He, um, he is, hmm, let's be pastoral. Um, he is a kid that you would not, he's a little bit wild. He's a little bit wild. And, but he talks about, uh, he talked about once how he was really overwhelmed about all the tests he had and how his mom was like, well, let's pray about it. Let's pray before you start studying. And the mom prayed for him and he was like, you know, anyhow, that like had a huge impact on him and like him seeing like the integrity or the validity of Christianity. So, so anyhow, engage your kids spiritually in the matters of their life. I don't think I have anything else, do I? Nah, let's just, yeah, we don't need to go there. Okay. Um, so, questions. Sorry, I, I hope I didn't take up too much time. Yes? It's not a question. Okay. <laughs> two, two things. Number one, uh, it always does surprise me that we don't bring our children to church with us or that we find it, you know, just don't get out of bed. I mean, of course, nothing good has ever happened at our house on a Sunday morning if we did not come to church, ever. So, we always came, we always came to church. Yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't hard for us, you know, even with five children. But um, also, another thing we've done some, not all the time, but if you're on vacation, I mean, the back of the Book of Common Prayers, Family Worship, it takes, you know, 10 minutes. Wow. Just to pull that out, make a copy of it so everybody has their own, read that if you like to sing, which I do. Bring a copy of him, you know, so your kids can go, oh. And, and you get to sing, you know, just or listen to the sermon. We've done that a good bit. Uh, when we're off in addition to visiting churches elsewhere. Then, That's awesome. That's really good. So easy to do. Then uh, another matter is um, uh, very interesting. I have a daughter that's at a large university, and for the sorority um, initiation, they had a church service. And so a well-known Christian group, head of a Christian group, spoke you know, at the church service. So, um, And what he said was... Um, if Jesus was uh, a lot, if Jesus was at this university, I'm sure that he would be in a fraternity. And um, so, you know, he, Jesus might have been in a fraternity, but Jesus probably would not have got a bit in a fraternity. Mm-hmm. But he's just, I mean, it, I, just, just the whole. It, it was just like the preface was so uh, really. And then the other point he made: so you need to be the best sister you can possibly be and that was what this that was what he told them and I'm like okay well we do we really even need the gospel I mean you know yeah you mentioned Jesus because Jesus uh, well of course been in fraternity yeah it was the dry one yeah so I thought oh my word
Awesome. The idea of listening to the sermon online or doing devotional as a family, I'm totally going to pin that on my Pinterest. That was really good. Yeah, thanks. Yes? Are there any studies like this one uh, for kids who do stay involved in campus ministry once they go to college and whether or not they stay in the church? I'm, uh, I'm not familiar with that research, to be honest with you. My experience is if a kid kind of lands in a campus ministry in college, like they're going so strongly against the current that there's a really high likelihood that they're going to stick. Any other questions? Yeah. How many in this room were involved in campus ministry when you were in school? When you say camp, you mean youth or college? College ministry has come a long way since when y'all were in school. Long way. Um, anyone else? Do you have any thoughts when your child doesn't want to go to church? You know, I tend to play the guilt trip on, which I know is wrong. So I didn't know how to. Um, I, I, yeah. You know, I. Mine's not, yeah, mine's in junior high. It's probably, it's probably a question I should be asking you guys just because. It's not an option. I mean, it's just not even a lot. Do you ask them if they're going to go to school? I mean, it's just not an option. Well, I, I would say, too, um, this is just a thought from no experience. But perhaps getting to the core of, like, well, this is what this is why we're going to go, and this is what we hope is going to happen. Like, we hope you're going to feel really connected to the Lord, and that's going to help you start your week with a sense of peace and joy. Um and that's just thought. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure I'll be like handcuffing little Big C and throwing him in the car. Uh, anyhow, so sorry, someone had a hand up. Yes. I know there are lots of different campus ministries. Are there any like that there's a red flag on it? There should be way more. No, no. I knew. Sure. Okay. Well, I'll just maybe I should cover this up. When, I know, for, here's the thing, when you guys were in college, uh, like, Campus Crusade was probably the big show on the campus, and it was probably really, really legalistic about a generation ago. Uh, and a lot of people were really repelled by it and have a bad taste in their mouth. That ministry is completely different now. Like, it is grace-driven. Um, like my wife was on staff with them. Uh, it's primarily theologically reformed, which is another way of saying biblically-based, high view of the sovereignty of God and high view of grace. Um, Navigators is a great ministry. Reform University Fellowship is a fantastic ministry. I mean, like, uh, generally across the country, campus outreach is a really good ministry. Um, so I honestly, like, those those ministries, which are really the four big shows on any campus for the most part, I mean, I feel great about any of our kids going to those ministries. I mean, college ministry is, you know, hopefully, a, I mean, hopefully where youth ministry is headed, but it is so, so much better. They have gone through, has so much growth as compared to youth ministry. Um, so I, I can't think of any anyone that I would really criticize. Yep. Um, I was just kind of curious, you know, being in this community with other churches, mm-hmm. probably some of the other churches that I'm not familiar with, have that um, fun aspect that they lead sure. with, with the relationship with the kids. How do you how do you deal with that? Or can you give parents some encouraging words on how to? Yeah. 
Because well, there's competition. Competition's not the right word, but... Yeah, no, I understand. Well, first off, like, we have fun. I mean, we play paintball. We go to Six Flags. We do things like that. And, and, it's, and that's an okay thing to do because, like, we believe that the church is the congregation of God's adopted sons and daughters. And if we're a family in that way, then we can have fun together, you know? And so it's totally okay to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, if your kid wants to, if your kid on Sunday night wants to go to that, that's it's not like the worst thing in the world. That's a fine thing for them to go to another church on Sunday night. And, and if they feel connected and feel entertained. Or highlight the shallowness of that without sounding judgmental. I think they know, just from what I've been involved with with Cameron, I mean, he's not tooting his own horn. We are so immeasurably blessed to have Cameron leading our youth in his church. I mean, he is just phenomenal. Um, but they get it. They don't need to be entertained. They're not coming to stuff that he's leading to be entertained. They're coming to know the Word of God. Yeah, and, and here's what, like, what we hope is, we hope that they're going to experience the abundant life that comes through intimacy with God and that comes through knowing knowing the gospel. And so um, that's what we kind of hope. And we also pray and hope that they're going to feel connected, that they're going to feel like they have a group of friends in the church. And, like, it's really, think about 7th and 8th graders and how just, like, catty and mean they are to each other. That's pretty hard to accomplish. But that's what we pray for and work for. So we're just, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, we're just hopefully, hopefully, like, the abundant life of knowing Christ Hopefully that is what attracts them, and that's what they experience. So, all right, I think we probably need to go. I hear a lot of people talking. I'll pray for us real fast. Thank you all so much for coming. I'll, I'm happy to talk to you after this. Lord, um, thank you so much for the gospel, Jesus. Thank you so much uh, for what you accomplished in your life and on the cross. And, Lord, uh, we, are, we just love our kids so much, and it makes us so afraid. And so, God, I pray you give us peace to know that you are perfectly in control that they're, they're your kids before they're our kids. You've just loaned them to us, Lord, and we entrust them to you. And um, God, give us patience when they walk off the path. Um, make us prayerful people who pray that you would use all those circumstances to point to Christ. And uh, give us wisdom, Lord. Um, pray, that, pray that for everyone in, in this room, that their children, you would miraculously bless them with a heart that wants to come to church and that wants to, um, wants to seek the Lord and uh, wants to love you. I ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.